Hey, this is Kevin Baumfield. I'm managing partner and co-founder of Consenta, a consulting company in Dallas, Texas. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my great friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we know as leaders to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. The purpose of the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. It is now time to adapt in our fast-moving world. Today, listeners, my guest is Kevin Bonfield, who is the CEO of Consenta, and he is uh, a great guy who's been an IT leader for many years, but it has a great amount of experience and just wonderful to have him on the show. So, Kevin, welcome. It's great to see you again, Dennis. Yeah, great. Thank you. Hey, uh, Kevin, I've just introduced you there briefly to the to our listeners. Can you just share more with us about your background, about what you've done and, and you know, the kind of leadership roles you've been in and that? Sure. I, I, um, I've lived in Dallas for the last... 24 years, but I think as most people will be able to tell, I didn't grow up here. I grew up in the the north of England and started my my career as a consultant uh, with Bain & Company, moved to Dallas in, uh, in 1996, which seems like an awful long time ago. And uh, after a couple of small startup companies after that, I went to work for EDS, which is which is how we met, and then left there about 10 years ago after the acquisition by HP and started my own consulting company. I, I wanted to become an entrepreneur. I wanted to be accountable for the results that I delivered and the decisions that I made. And so I started a company called Consenta. Given my British background, obviously it ends with RE rather than ER. And then I, I also am a, uh, a part owner in a, an eco-friendly dry cleaner in Austin called EcoClean. And I love the, the, the combination of those two businesses. I learned from both of them uh, pretty much every day. Yeah, great. And, and so what was it like for you to leave the corporate world, if I can put it that way, to even still be in the corporate world, but go into your own business or businesses as you just shared there? What was that transition like for you? It's it's a while ago now, but it, it was. I think it was it was a little scary at the time. This was in late two thousand nine, early twenty ten. You know, the economy was still coming back, but there were there were still question marks over how it was going. And I was stepping out on my own. I think that the the thing that was helpful for me early on was finding a great client, even though it was uh, the relationship to begin with was small. It was something that we could build on. And and I felt like I was part of a larger a larger team, even though I was uh, working with a couple of other consultants and and we were relatively small at that point. It, it felt like I had the 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 best of 
being a part of a, a large organization and being able to make change on that kind of scale, whilst also having a smaller, more more focused team that uh, that work together. Yeah, and so you know there there is times right now where people are going through a lot of change in the sense that they, you know, with the pandemics and so forth, a lot of people will maybe losing their jobs and mm. then they may be thinking going out and starting their own their own business, going from a from a role that they might have today or maybe even adapting from the business they're doing today to another business. So I think that that feeling of uncomfortable and a little bit of a change is, is, is really quite interesting and in in the journey that they'll go through. I don't know. Do you have any tips for people who might be going through that kind of transition and thoughts at all? I know. I know that's. You know. I'm not sure. Do you have any tips at all? Yeah, I think maybe two things, Dennis. One is that uh, early on we never focused as much as we should have, uh, whether oh. that's on a specific uh, type of consulting or a specific industry, and it's something that we've come back around on later on to be to be much clearer on what it is that we do and why it is that you should uh, you should buy from us, uh, and and that's that's been a. a it's been worth the investment within my team, but it was something that we should have done very early on. And the other is, uh, and I'm forgetting who told me this, but they talked about uh, for an entrepreneur, you need to have a combination of hunger and fear, right? And I've found that whenever I lose one of those, that that there's trouble around the corner. If, if I don't have enough hunger, if I don't have enough fear, then things are not likely to end up the way that uh, that I want them to, and so having a balance of that hunger and fear for me is, is a way that that it, it drives me forward every morning. Nice. So have a clarity around the niche that you're looking at, or the area, the people that you're actually going to serve. Why would they buy off you? Is one thing, and number two is having that balance or the combination between hunger and fear. And if you don't have one of those, then you probably become a little bit complacent maybe or an autopilot, as I call it, and sort of tend to not sort of be out there on a daily basis doing what you might need to do. Yeah, there, there, was, there have been times when I've lost the fear and to the outside world, it looks like everything is going really, really well, that uh, there's incredible success. And and it's it's caused me occasionally to take my eye off the ball, and and that's when mm. the that's when the bad stuff happens. Right. Okay. Cool. Uh, Kevin, that's awesome. Um, hey, team uh, listeners, we're here with Kevin Bonfield, who's uh, sharing some of his, his insights and wisdom and experiences around being a leader, going from a large corporate role into uh, his own businesses as well. Kevin, who is your favorite leader? Now, this person could be alive or from history, but who is your favorite leader and why? So this to me is actually an incredibly challenging question. And I'm, I, I, because I, I, I've worked for what I think are some fantastic leaders. And uh, let's just say I've worked for some not fantastic leaders as well. And then being a consultant, I, I get to see it almost from a displaced perspective. So I, I think I have a fairly well-tuned view of it. But as a result, I'm not going to go with anybody who, who I've worked with or, or who is alive today. The person that whose leadership I find incredible is a Polish guy named uh, Witold Pilecki. And there's, uh, his story was lost for decades, and it's only really come back up over the last couple of years. There's a book called The Auschwitz Volunteer, and he was a member of the Polish army, and he volunteered to go into Auschwitz to basically start the revolution from within, uh, from within the camp. Uh, and his... 
And when he came out, he wrote a book, and it was basically kind of a report out to his superiors who didn't believe him because it was so incredible, lost the book, and it was only recently that it, that it came back to light. But to me, there's there's this there's a story he tells where he, it, he is so cold and wet, and he's in the middle of the the grounds. He's in a terrible position, right? But he's found his purpose in life. He's found where he's supposed to be. And he's working with the people that he needs to work with to both help them survive, but then also to uh, give them purpose as well. And, and I just think that that, that combination of uh, having a vision, uh, being clear on his purpose, making an impact and doing it in a place where there's no formal structures where people have to listen to him. He's having to do this all with the 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 strength of his personality and his persuasion. And if it goes wrong, then he's likely to die. I think that he is one of the most incredible leaders that 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 I have come to know. Yeah, sounds like a very committed leader who had a vision, clear on his purpose, but also making that impact. And uh, yeah, what a wonderful leader that sounds like, um, going out there and putting things out for, you know, on the line, and he could have ended up uh, not, mm. not surviving. And so, yeah, really interesting. So wonderful. I mean, really interesting how that book's come out, and again, will come out now because it was lost. And so, um, yeah. Mm. So what's the title of the book again? The one that I've read is The Auschwitz Volunteer. I think that there's a follow-up that's coming. The Auschwitz Volunteer is very much just his report out. I think yep. that there's a follow-up that that is more about his life. But uh, yeah, the 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 one that the one that I've read is the Auschwitz Volunteer, and it's 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 a fantastic book, just in its rawness, yeah. right? Because it's him talking. Yes. Yeah. 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 No, great. I, I actually thought you were going to talk about a cricket player, you know, an English cricket player. And I thought, oh, whew, lucky you didn't mention that. So, <laughs> so I thought that was all good. Hey, um, Kevin, the, the the name of the show is Leadership Is Changing, and what is when I when I say that statement, what what does that mean for you? You know, I, I was listening to one of your earlier sessions, Dennis, uh, with, with Vince Molinaro, and this part of the conversation of, is leadership changing, or how is leadership changing? And I, and I, you know, my first thing as I was thinking about this is, well, is it really changing? And maybe I have a, a slightly different perspective on it, but I'm not sure that the core elements of what makes a great leader are changing. And we can talk about what I think those are. I I, I don't have a I don't have a fully baked view of that that's uh, that's unimpeachable, but I think that some of the core elements around being able to uh, provide a vision, uh, understand people and their motivations and build a team uh, around you as a result, inspire people and hold them accountable, and then for the leader to be accountable themselves, I don't think that those things have changed, and I'm not sure that those things are going to change uh, in the future, because I think that those are those are the the skills of a leader that they need to apply to whichever uh, situation they find themselves in. But I do think that what's going on in the world today, you know, from be before the, the the COVID coronavirus uh, pandemic, which is going on, the, the the rate of change from from technology and globalization and communications has led to those leadership skills being much more important to be on display consistently. And then more recently, the ability to, to provide that when you've got a, a team that's not in the room, is remote, and you're having to make decisions at a speed that you're not used to, I think it's just uh, uncovering 
who are the better leaders uh, out there rather than changing the things that we're expecting to see from leaders. Yeah, so the basic elements are still there. The core elements, as you're calling it, are still there. The But the rate of change, the way things are, it's, it's almost like, you know, how you do something in life and then it will be magnified in the sense that because of, as you say, the rate of change is happening so far, the rate that speed is happening. That Right. And, and, and going back to your words here, it's it's whereby this is where the the real good leaders are actually being shown and and are having uh, are actually being sort of magnified if I can put it that way where if you're not and you're not doing those core items really well you're not you're going to be in trouble so Kevin does that actually have an effect as well on on the organization and the team if that leader is not stepping up uh, I look I think it does because if there's one thing that we need as as we're going through the 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 phase the, uh, mm-hmm. that we're going through now, it's it's something or someone to believe in uh, that there's that there's a better day on the back end of it. And if you don't have that, I, I think it's much more challenging to get up in the morning and uh, and go work for other people or for for the larger cause if you don't have that vision. Yeah, people are looking for a leader that's very strong or they, they, they can actually latch on to and follow that leader um, in times like this, even more so than other times. And uh, yeah, so they, they are looking for those leaders indeed. Very interesting times. And, and Dennis, I don't think that people are looking for leaders who are infallible, who make every decision correctly. Sure. I think yep. that they're looking for somebody who is authentic and human and and gets the most out of their team, but but has an opinion. Right. I um, over the weekend we had Hamilton come out on Disney Plus, and so I'd I'd, uh, I'd not seen Hamilton before. But one of the things that really stuck with me is is early on Alexander Hamilton talking to Aaron Burr and the difference between I have an opinion and I want to go and do this, and Aaron Burr with well, you know, it's probably better if you smile a little bit more and keep your mouth shut and keep your opinions to yourself. I think that. It, well, it was shown back then, but I think that that's the that's the difference between a leader who's going to be completely ineffective and and one who's going to have a team that's willing to march through and be successful. Yeah, it's almost like the active leader versus the passive leader. The active leader out there having that opinion, as you say, versus the one just smiling a little bit more and not really being effective at all. Yeah, right, right. Mm, and, yeah. And, and now there are some things that. I think maybe over rotate during this time frame. I was talking to a a, a, a client who's a CIO of a hotel chain here in Dallas, and the conversation we were having was, "Well, do you think that this sense of urgency is actually going to improve decision making? Because it looks like there's much more." There's urgency to make the decisions. People are making the decisions and going and executing them quickly right now. And he had a a fascinating counterintuitive view on that, which was, yes, it's probably in the short term helping make uh, the decisions that you need to make. And at the same time, if we lose the opportunity to collaborate with our teams so that they feel like they're part of that decision-making, then maybe we've lost something. So there are some things, I think, that come from leadership during this phase that are just for crisis leadership yeah. rather than leadership in general, and that, and that might be one of them. Yeah, so the mode at the moment whereby uh, we are in a crisis situation, those decisions can be done quickly, but uh, in a long term, sort of long period of time, they probably won't be applicable because, as you say, you know, what he was saying is that we could lose the collaboration. We may lose some of our team members Mm -hmm. not taking them on the journey with us for sure. Yep. Right. Kevin, how has your business or industry changed and what demand has that put on you or your team? 
Well, uh, I think that there's, I would say that there's two phases that we've we've gone through. There was a triage phase for our clients where uh, they, were, they were dealing with uh, shifting from a somewhat to a fully remote workforce they were they were trying to address costs very quickly they were trying to address uh, cash availability and that triage phase which in the US at least happened between the the middle of March and let's say the end of April i mean that that just as much as anything within our within our community and our client set we were trying to help people just get through that process. There was there was no, how do we think about larger relationships or new business? It yeah. was literally, how do we help you survive, right? And then I think more recently, there's been, a, there's been more of a strategic conversation that's going on about what the future looks like. And, you know, we, we talked about what the new normal is and there was there were differences of opinion on, is this the new normal or is what we get back to the new normal? At the same time, none of it feels very normal. So I don't know why we're calling it that. And so we, where we settled the harm was, let's talk about this as the next normal. And there, there has been more of a thought process now about what does that mean into the future? And there are capabilities that that our clients are finding that they had but they didn't necessarily maximize uh, as they were, uh, you know, as, as they were working, and 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 remote work is is uh, one of them, where for for us at least, we believe that it opens up our ability to to work with clients around the world, without having to worry too much about getting on a plane, because uh, the the view is that it that this kind of interaction today is is much more acceptable than it has been in the past. You know, the other the other things that we've that we've done to address our market changes is is really be uh, much uh, much clearer on what our uh, consulting packages look like, whether that's a a workshop or an assessment or a project, uh, because it's 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 more difficult to get into a room and do a whiteboarding session. You can do it, but it's 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 more challenging these days than it than it was before. So we've we've come to to package things a little bit more uh, and then within our team we are much more communicative on a daily basis so we went to a stage early on where it was daily stand-ups we're not quite there at the moment but we spend um, time two or three t- uh, two or three times a week on where's our business at and what do we need to do next and what help do we need and how can we work together to be successful uh, in uh, in pursuing all of those goals yeah, it's almost like we we're having to get rid of the waffle or the the noise and just get straight down to the nuggets and what we're needing to do. Hence, you're you're saying about your packages and getting that clearer and that. And then the other one is the right. the, the communication a lot more, right? So stand ups and having those kind of conversations. It's it's pretty interesting to see. So yeah, and and um, you know, I like what you said too, Kevin, in relation to the next normal rather than just the normal. It's uh, what's the new normal? It's the right. next normal. Yeah, pretty quite cool. Yeah. Alrighty. So, 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 Dennis, one of the things you just talked about was um, was being clear on what it is that needs to happen, what what your priorities are, and and I'm I had a conversation early on in this with a, a friend of mine who runs a a bubble tea restaurant here in Dallas, and he, I, you know, the the start of the conversation was, gosh, there's so many things to be done, and how do we get it done because we've got less resource, and who knows which way we're going. And he had completely the opposite view. He said, you know, 
Uh, I've found it freeing because before mm. we might have had the capacity to do four or five different things and we would maybe do four or five things reasonably well. He said, now we've got the leadership capacity to do one or two, and uh, it's allowed us to actually move a lot faster because going through that prioritization approach is uh, better understood within the organization. And so people are on board with, okay, we're going to pick two things, we're going to go. Yeah. Yeah, great. So, so as you said again, I mean, it's just amazing. So how we spin too many plates sometimes and take on too many things, whereby right now, one, two things, let's just focus on that, do that really well, get that across the line and see where it goes. And hmm, good, good, good example of that. Yeah. Thanks. Hey, if there was, um, if there was one thing you could change in businesses a leader today, what, what would that one thing be? A vaccine, increased demand. <laughs> it's, I think that those will come. So, and and mm-hmm. we're you know, we continue to work on generating demand, not waiting for the demand to come. Uh, I think that in this remote world, one of the things that that we're missing is the ability. Again, if I could click my fingers and it happened, the ability to communicate electronically with tone, so that people get not just the 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 black and white words, but the intention with which it arrives. And I, I'm I'm. I, I know that I've I've worked with people where I know what it's like to talk to them. I know what it's like to be in the same room and have a conversation. And sometimes their emails show up, and it and it it looks very different in terms of the tone that's coming across. It's much more clipped and got to get this done. And when's this going to happen? And I've found that picking up the phone and having a conversation uh, often solves that that problem. But it would be great if that tone actually came through in in electronic communications as well. That that would I think solve a lot of our problems. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not just the way that we would say it, but also the way that some people are in a mood or the situation they're in to receive it as well, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and look, the thing that I've found gets over that hump, if we don't get that, is is uh, assuming positive intent in everything that comes your way. Uh, and if, if you do assume that positive intent, it gets past the, well, that looks like it maybe was a little snarky. Uh, but getting the tone would mean that you, uh, you know, you would be able to understand very quickly what the intent was, regardless of, regardless of what it was. Is it, is it frustration? Is it, is it anger? Because sometimes those things are, are helpful to understand, uh, you know, faster rather than, like I said, having to get on the phone. Yeah. So at the end of the day, though, if you uh, don't understand it, get on the phone, get on a Skype call, get on a WhatsApp, whatever it is that you can right. actually talk to the person it may alleviate, alleviate a lot of those issues or the way things are, the tone, for sure. So uh, yeah. if we could communicate electronically with tone, that would be a wonderful way to do that, is, uh, is what Kevin Bonfield is saying on the show here with me today. And um, so, yeah, really good stuff. So, Kevin, <laughs> thanks for sharing that. Hey, um, how has employees' expectations of law, uh, of leaders changed? Well, I, th- I think that there was a shift that was going on b- before this this current crisis, uh, and it was it was all about raising the bar on what we expect from our leaders. I, I, I said at the beginning when I when I started my career, I had uh, I, I, I've had a mix of really good leaders and some who are not so much. Uh, I th- I think you know the positive thing is. I've I've learned from each of them. Sometimes it's well, I've got to do more of that, and sometimes it's I don't want to do that. But I think that the overall, it's 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 been, you know, the the the, the expectations have been have been raised. 
because the way that work happens these days is not that we go and work for a company and there's this pact with a company that we're going to work there for 25 years or 30 years. And so as a result of that, it's, okay, well, I've got a bad leader, but they're going to leave in a couple of years and I'll and it'll be fine. And, and regardless, I still have a job. Now it's much less that way. And so finding somebody that you want to work with and a mission that you want to go after, I think is more and more important. So that the bar was already being raised and that came from more of a generational shift than anything. But now it's more a matter of survival. The great leaders uh, are going to do much better in this, uh, in this pandemic. There are, there have been some great companies that have been started in recessions and downturns and I'm sure that there are going to be some great companies that that have been founded in the last three, four months that mm. 10 years from now we will look back and we'll go, well, you know, that company was started in the in the lowest of the, the low demand times uh, when we were all locked down and look what it's become. Uh, so uh, to me, there are there are great leaders and there are great companies that are going to be f- uh, going to be found uh, regardless of the situation you're in. Yeah, totally agree, and I think that's that's where a lot of that innovation. But it's also probably where, going back to the words that you used you used before, where the hunger and the fear will actually come in and kick in more and be emphasised more, and that's why people are yeah. going out there now to have to look at things differently to be able to kick things off. And as you said, I mean, yeah, we probably will look back over the next few years to say, wow, look at that organisation or that leader or leaders, and how they've actually grown and, and come out of it. And, and where were they before? And uh, yeah, and how this whole crisis, um, and as you said just before, the current crisis is actually um, helping right. us or helping people, you know, things being born from now, right? So, um, and, I, and I'm sure there'll be a lot more innovative stuff too, like product or, you know, tools and things like that that will come out of this as well. Oh, absolutely. And, th- and, there's, and the, thing that's, the thing that's interesting to me here is that you get the opportunity to almost look into the future a little bit. Uh, with this with this current crisis. Right. Uh, you can look at other countries. Uh, depending on the industry you're in, you can look at other industries as well and say, okay, well, you're being impacted first. What did what did you do? How did it work? I, I, I know that certainly here, there's been a lot of conversations around things that restaurants have done because they were impacted early on. And some of them have done incredibly well as a result. They've added their own delivery uh, capability. So mm-hmm. it used to be through Uber, or Postmates or Favor or whatever it was, but now they're doing it directly because they've found that it it gives them a better control of their customer experience and it improves their economics, right? So delivery is one. Uh, the second is that they've gotten much better at packaging their product. So before it might be if you were doing delivery, it might be, well, this is our menu in the restaurant, pick off the menu in the restaurant, and we'll just put it in a box for you and you can pick it up. Now there's things like restaurants are doing packaged meals for four, like a standard, you know, here's a meal so that you can heat it up and do it at home uh, and, and enjoy a family meal. There are ones where they are doing the deconstructed food, right? So you get it in, you know, all wrapped up in these these uh, plastic packs and you get to cook it at home, right? So I, I think you're right. I think that there's going to be huge innovation in terms of uh, the way that uh, companies deliver their service or their product to their market. There's still a customer need. The question is, how are you going to meet it? And people are just meeting it in different ways than they have done before. And at the same time, keeping, keeping connected to their community. Yeah, excellent. So, listeners, I'm with Kevin Bonfield, who's the CEO of uh, Consenta, and he is sharing his thoughts with us as well. And Kevin, what what makes a leader successful today in this fast-paced, ever-changing world? 
Yeah, this one, this one's a, a, a challenge just because there's, there's, I think that there's a, a push and a pull on the strategic and the tactical and the fast and the slow. I heard Greg McKeown speak, I think it's three years ago now. And one of the things that really stuck with me in his speech is he said, you know, you realize that the word priority was singular for the first 400 years that, w- that it was in existence. We didn't used to have priorities because there was only one priority. And so I, I still think that the ability to focus, focus in terms of setting a direction, but also focus in terms of doing the deep work to, to push things forward, I think that that is, is critical right now. The ability to, to, to have in uh, both sides of your mind something which a strategic thought and a tactical thought, I think for leaders, mm. you need to have both to the point where there are entrepreneurial friends of mine who split up their week into um, into different days so that they can be really deep on operations or tactics on one day and then maybe really deep on product on another day so that they can, rather than just being gray in terms of the way that they're, they're approaching their week, they can be really deep into topics uh, as they go through. But uh, you know, I think the ability to have both of those and then the last one is, I think that the biggest constraint that we have as leaders often is uh, our time, and it's and our time then connects to our ability to get things done. Mm-hmm. But the thing that that I think is of greatest constraint is our ability to think, the time to think and review where we've been and where we're going uh, and what what it's going to take for success, and so leaders who can find the right people to outsource their thinking for them, I think that those are the ones that are going to create a larger scalable impact rather than rather than targeted and narrow impact. Wow. When you, when you say outsource your thinking, how, how would one outsource their thinking? What, what would they need to do? Uh, the, the, the way that I have tested it is uh, and look i'm on the front end of uh, of this i'm sure that there are sure. people who know much more about this but when i see an issue it's okay I'm, I'm going to scope it somewhat right this is the problem that i'm seeing this is the way that i'm thinking about it here are four or five different ways that i'm thinking about it and then I, i've got uh, different networks that i will send that out to right and i'll preface it with this is a this is an unformed thought this is very raw material but i'd love to get your feedback on it they then take it and polish it right uh-huh. because it's triggered something in them it's it, there's a value to them as well in in reading what i've what i've got they polish the things that i've done and they give me other ideas that are related to it to the point where it's okay i've got that uh, i've i've kind of come to terms with that now and i and i'm comfortable moving forward with you know the, the output that I have, but it's a lot better thought as a result of me outsourcing some of that thinking to other people who have different experiences and different inputs. They can see it more objectively than I can. Yeah, great. So outsource your thinking. It's almost like Kevin that um, you know if I take uh, some some thinking around some design stuff that I want to get done or a book that I'm writing, and then giving it to the editor or giving it the the design team. Hey, these are my thoughts. I've sketched it. This is it. Here it is. Go away and do what you need to do with it. But also come to me with some other ideas as well. And they come to me with the one that I've done, but they've made it. And I go, oh. Did I actually do that's that's awesome what I just did there. But um, then they come to me with two option two, option three, and option four, and I go like, oh, 
I actually didn't think about that. And so I think that's a great idea what you're just sharing there about, right. you know, outsourcing and thinking because people will come to you with different ideas. You know, you and I have our our ideas and our, our, our thoughts are probably limited based on our experiences and so forth. But if somebody else can tap into that and – that's probably areas that that's their passion as well more, uh, if you know what I mean. Right. It's more of their, yeah. So I think that that's a wonderful idea to do, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, mm. and look, one of the things that I would say, Dennis, is that I think that the prevalence of podcasts are actually part of that process. It started off that these kinds of things would come through through radio or recorded words. So it was more point to point, right? It was It was somebody with an idea and they would just broadcast it. Now, because there are so many... There are so many of the uh, uh, so many podcasts, uh, not so many good ones, but there are so many podcasts. Right, it becomes more of a network of of thought that's going on, and to be able to have these conversations and say, well, I think leadership is this, and and you come back and say, well, I think that you've missed this and you've missed that. It's like, okay, that that's really helpful to me. That's going to that's going to go into my thinking about how I change myself as a leader. Right, mm. but I don't think it would happen if we didn't have those networks of of conversation going on, and we're 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 building upon that thought as it as it moves forward. Yeah, great, 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 um, great thoughts. Because that's the reason why I wanted to do an interview kind of podcast, so then I could get different yeah. opinions, different perspectives, and insights into into the show, so then our listeners could pick up different things based on where they're at mm. and based on what they need going forward to help them around leadership in this ever fast, ever-changing world that we have, uh, which is yeah. really interesting. Kevin, if I was to ask you to sort of get that crystal ball out and start thinking about the future, um, where do you see leadership being in five years? Uh, I, I think it's going to be I, – I, I come back, right, and, and I said early on that I don't think that the core principles of leadership are changing. I think that they're just – I think that they're becoming more obvious and because of that, I think it, it it's there's going to be demand that gets pulled down in our educational system so that rather than thinking about leadership, that's something that's learned almost as, as an apprenticeship where you go and try things, right? I mean, I, I look back on, on when I was at school and you, you know, you did a, an art project or um, you 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 led a fundraising something, what, whatever it was, all of them were a way of you building your leadership up uh, place by place. But there was never a, let's come back and think about how we would do that again or what we learned as leaders, what we would do in the future or not do in the future as a result. And so I think that there's going to be more of a pull to say, how do we think about leadership as a as a topic we need to learn or be intentional about uh, earlier on in life? I, I would tell you that I feel like I've learned more as a leader in the last 10 years running my own company than I did in the 37 before that. And it's one of the things that I like to speak to my kids about. We're, we're, <laughs> we're going through a, a very long conversation about accountability at the moment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know... <clears throat> We, we may be successful, we may not. But but I think that having it, having it taught in school versus it being something that you pick up passively uh, is, is something that is going to be demanded in, in uh, the, the not-too-distant future so that we build leaders uh, earlier on rather than people just become leaders. Right, right. Yeah, cool. And and maybe, you know, where the, the schools are maybe teaching that, but we also, as parents, as employers, 
um, we could actually help them put that into into a practical sense and actually help them implement it rather right. than just being quite a lot of it being just theory. Right, right, mm. e- exactly. Uh, and th- there's, there's clearly a, a, a practical element to it, but having some kind of, ha- having the, here are the, um, the six truths of, of uh, great leaders, and we're going to spend time on this one and, and see the examples of where it worked well and where it didn't. I mean, obviously, you get those if you go into a, a you know a Harvard MBA. You you learn about leadership at that kind of level. But we need leaders in uh, in our society at all levels, all ages, and all levels. And there's no reason why we shouldn't be learning in that way earlier on in life, rather than waiting until you know, until we're in our mid twenties or thirties or, or just, or just making it a passive endeavor rather than an active one. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Excellent. So, uh, that, that's brilliant stuff there shared by Kevin Bonfield. Kevin, thank you for joining us on today's show. If, if our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where, where should they go? A couple of different, uh, uh, ways that you can get hold of me. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm Kevin Bonfield. Uh, I live in Dallas. I'm the one with, uh, I'm the <laughs> I'm the one who is a digital transformation expert, uh, published in Forbes and Inc. Or you can come to our website, consentergroup.com. And again, I'm British, so it's c o n c e n t r e group.com. Those are the two ways that you can get a hold of me. Great, Kevin. Thanks for joining us on the show today. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary especially with the unknown, the unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Hey, look out for the episodes as they're released. Download them, uh, listen to them, put a review, rating, share them with your friends and your family. If there's any feedback you'd like to give me in relation to the show, or if there's a question you want me to ask uh, my guests, or on the episode that I do, Ask Dennis, feel free to send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Listeners, thanks for tuning in today. We'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.